Thanks, Peter. Right. So, reading from Acts chapter 4, start at verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Anas and the high priest was there, and so were Cephas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. <clears throat> Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind for which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sahedron and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a noticeable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in, the, in this name. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be, the you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further, th further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had, had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against you, Lord, and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. 
Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and there and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Thank you so much, Peter. Kids, I need your help. Who can tell me what is in this tube? Paint, cream maybe, paint maybe. Maybe, 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 maybe. We don't know, do we? Because we can't see. Hey, that's cheating, man. You can't ask Siri what's in the tube. <laughs> IT people, hey, they just go straight to the computer for the solution. <laughs> that was unscripted, by the way. <laughs> How would I know, kids, what is really inside this tube? Opening it, and I, yes, Jasmine, you're quite right, Pouring it out, except this is a tube, it won't really pour out. I kind of have to squeeze it, don't I? If I want to know what's inside this tube, I've got to squeeze the tube. Then I'll see what comes out, and then I know what goes on in there. Now, here's the question I ask to all of you. I won't squeeze this one, because there is actually paint in there, and I don't want it on me. How do you know if you are a child of God. How do you know if you really are a Christian? You know, it's one of those questions you shouldn't ask yourself all the time, but it's perhaps one of those questions you should also never ask yourself. From time to time, it's a very good question to ask. And I'll start by saying to you today that well, there are many things you can look for or talk about or think about, but, but here's a big, big thing we need to look at. What comes out of you when you're squeezed really hard? I asked you at the beginning of this service what's stressing you out. In that stress, what's coming out of you? What do you observe? Only by looking at that carefully, I think, will we know and maybe perhaps gain the insight that we need to gain and think only about yourself, not about anyone else today as you ponder this question and I take you through what we see in the book of Acts. You see, in the book of Acts, the Christians that we read about, did you pick that up in Peter's reading? In the first number of verses you read, they were squeezed. They were squeezed really, really, really hard. There is a major, major threat for them. Something really amazing happened last week. They preached, they healed someone, and then the threats come. The threat for them is so severe, the squeezing is going to be so hard, and I think they already know it at this stage, that it's going to cost them their lives. They're going to die for it. That is how hard these people are going to get squeezed. This is the first time where the squeeze is starting to tighten on their lives. And then something comes out of them in the end of that passage that Peter read. And that's what we've got to look at. 
That's what we're going to look at because in there you're going to see something about what it means to be a true child of God and a true community of children of God that is breathtaking. That's what I, what I want to take you through today. I'm going to take a few points and I'm going to get some of you kids to help me teach some of them as well. Here's the first one. What's the first thing that we see in what we read? On their release, we read, Peter and John went back to their own people. They reported all that the chief priests had said and the elders had said to them, all the threats, all the squeezing. And here's the key part. When they heard this, they raised their voices in prayer to God. That point is so simple that I think we don't even really like it. You see, it's too simple for us. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you face stress or uncertainty or you're threatened with something? You know what I do? I, I, I turn to the books, to, to money. You know, how, what's, how, we, how do we financially deal with this? Or I might turn to a to-do list. How am I going to... How am I going to manage this? How are we going to exercise sufficient control over what we need to here to make sure we get through? Maybe, maybe I know for a lot of people when it gets very overwhelming, whatever it is that they are faced with, you know, it's, 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 it's just pull up the doona. I, it's too much. I don't want to even think about it. I don't want to confront it. I, I, I just want to forget about it and ignore it. What, I mean, please think for yourself. What, what do you do when when you're faced with a threat, uncertainty, great stress, anxiety. There's an author who writes this quote. It's a beautiful quote. He says, Turning to God in prayer, the spontaneous cry of Abba Father is perhaps the deepest reality of the regenerate heart, not least when faced by any form of peril. Now, that's high language, but you know what he's saying? He's saying, you know what the true child of God does? You know what the first thing is they do? They pray. <laughs> they, they pray. They say the first thing we're going to do is talk to our Father. Right? But what did they say? What... what Okay, pray is one thing to say. Okay, the first thing we need to do is, is pray. And, and by the way, I, I, I admitted that. There's just something really important in their, their prayer that we see. Did you notice that they prayed together? This is a together thing for them. United prayer. Praying as a family. Praying as a married couple. Praying as a whole church. Praying as a prayer group praying as a leadership team, praying as a small group, together is where the carrots are at. Okay? Individual prayer, absolutely. Very important. But in response to this, united, childlike, they shared the threat, they came together all together, and they prayed. So they dealt with it. <laughs> it's very insightful. More astonishing, I think, is what they prayed. I'll move on to that now. What did they say? What, what what came out of, of them as they were squeezed in their, in their prayers? Well, the first thing that came out of them, <laughs> they turned their attention and their focus to the greatness of God. 
The vast majority of this prayer is, is, is an exclamation of, of, of the greatness and the sovereignty of God. Now, I want to illustrate that to you because I think it's a very critical and a very powerful point uh, to get. And for that, I do need some help. So, is Marty here? Is he? All right, Marty, come on up. We practiced this, so we'll see how we go. <laughs> come on, mate. Well done. You all right? This is Marty, everyone. Marty's my son. I, I don't know. Get away from everyone. <laughs> well, as a pastor, I'll never get my kids involved in my work. But now I'm doing just that. All right, Mark. Let's, kids, do you, who of you are afraid of spiders? Hands up if you're afraid of spiders. Oh, even a few adults, actually. I think there's more adults than kids. Kids, any of you afraid of spiders? Yeah, there are a few hands up. You know, what if it's a spider as big as this? Would you be afraid of this spider? I think I would be afraid of this spider too. That's right. Now, this is not a live spider, so don't be too afraid. But let's pretend, let's pretend this is a live spider and it's up here. And let's pretend Marty is standing there and I'm standing here and Marty sees that spider. Marty, what would you do when you see that spider? What would you do? You'd run to Dad. All right. Why would you run to Dad, Marty? <laughs> You're absolutely right. Dad will kill the spider. Do you know what Marty said to me this morning? I said to him, Marty, what would you do if you see that spider? He said, I would stomp on him. <laughs> With your big shoe, won't you? And then I said, yeah, but what if it's a really big spider, Mart? He said, oh, then I'll run to you. But see, here's the thing, right? Why does Marty run to me? Why would you run to me, Mart? Yeah, okay, sorry, I actually did ask you that, didn't I? I can stomp on it. Why can I stomp on it? Because the fact is, I am bigger than the spider. Right? And Marty knows it because he's seen me do it a few times. And he's seen me do it for mum too. But see, for as long as Marty looks at the spider, what does he see? A spider. Fear. A threat. Uncertainty. Stress. Restlessness. Angst. Nothing good. Nothing good. And then when he turns and he looks at me, <laughs> what does he see? <laughs> Strength, courage, hope, confidence, security, all those things that you need to face strength. Can I put it to you that what you see in that prayer of these believers this morning is exactly that? Look at their prayer. They start by saying, Sovereign Lord. You know what that means? The one who's in control of all things, exercising all power, almighty, all control. 
And then as they pray, they say, you made the heavens and the earth. You have made all things. And then they go on to describe Jesus' crucifixion and they end that sort of bit of the prayer by saying, they did what you determined beforehand would happen. All things are under your control no matter what it seems. That's what they say. And I put it to you folks, all they do in by doing that is doing exactly what Marty does. They just put their eyes on their great Father in heaven. They remind themselves of the greatness of God. Can I suggest to you that that is the way to deal with your stress? That is the way to deal with your angst? That is the way to deal, I'm not talking about you know, medical diagnosed mood disorders, I'm talking about the general stress and anxieties of life. How often do you ascribe and meditate and preach to yourself that your Father in heaven is great? You stop mid-stress thought, mid-stress situation. You call friends together, you call your family together, and you stop and say, Lord, you are great. Play the song that does it for you, that describes God's greatness. Read the Psalms that will remind you of God's greatness and see what it does to how you respond to your threats and your fears. Thank you, Matty. You can go sit down. Thanks, bud. Well done. There's a guy who wrote a book. His name's Paul David Tripp. Um, his book is called or is the title, and I encourage you, I cannot, cannot encourage it highly enough for you. His whole theory in the whole book is he says, every single problem that you have in life, whether it's temptation to sin, whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, can be traced back to a lack of awe of God and his greatness. Every single thing. <laughs> in the moment when you're tempted by something, that's on a different topic, but it just illustrates how important this is. You are more in awe in desire of the thing that you want, then you are in awe of your Father in heaven and his holiness and his greatness. What you need in that moment is to bring back to mind the awe of your Father. Right? When you're afraid, when you're looking at the spider, that's what we said already before, you are more in awe and in wonder and amazement of what that spider can do to you than you are in awe of your Father. And so the Christian life, really, in a certain sense, he sums up is this lack of awe, or all at the wrong thing causes you to feel unable, alone, unprepared and afraid, while awe of God produces courage, hope and forthright action. Children of God, turn to their Father, look to their Father, remind themselves of the greatness of their Father in prayer. That's the second thing. Number three on this point. What do they do after they praised God for his greatness, they asked God to empower them for his purposes for them. They asked God for three things. I'll deal with them very briefly. God, consider their threats. You know what that means? God, we don't really know what should be done with these people who are threatening us and the evil. You deal with it. That's your business. You see more than we do. You know more than we do. It's yours. Consider it, we leave it with you. Then they ask two things for themselves, and it's staggering. Number one, fill us with boldness. 
You know what's unique about what they ask? It's what they don't ask for. Never in their prayer do they ask for safety. Never in their prayer do they even ask for the persecution or the threats to go away. And it is my experience, you speak to any person today who lives in a persecuted country, any Christian, usually their prayers are the same. They're not asking for the persecution to stop, they're asking for boldness. They're saying, Jesus, make us bold. And then they ask thirdly in this little prayer, Jesus, stretch out your hand, he'll perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus, they ask their father. You know what they want? They want these people, their enemies, to see God. For God to reveal himself to them. <laughs> you see how they, they're enthralled in the, in, in the mission of God. God's purpose is for them. There's nothing in their prayer really here for themselves. And I don't say it's entirely wrong to pray for yourself, but I think it's distinctive that we see in these believers that they are concerned and consumed with a passion for what God wants. It's God's mission that matters most to them. They exist for his plans. And there's for us then a question as well. Is there in you a growing sense of passion for God and his purposes for your life and his word? Are you a person in whom there's a growing passion yeah, for yourself and your family and a church that is wrapped in the mission of God, praying for what God wants, filled with boldness and passion and faith, filled with a desire that God would reveal himself lovingly, kindly and miraculously to those who do not know Jesus. So far we said... What does a true Christian do when faced with uncertainty and fear? Pray. In prayer, meditate on the greatness and glory of your Father and ask for his great power to live out his plans for you. Okay? Now let's finish. What will happen if you do this? What will be the result? Well, here's the result for them. <laughs> They're empowered. Three things happen. And in one way, shape or form, I believe... When we pray like this, the same will happen for us. Number one, the place where they were meeting was shaken. All throughout the Bible, this is a sign and a signal of the presence of God. They knew that God was there. God was with them. <laughs> you pray like this, you're going to know that God is with you. Unmistakably, undoubtedly whether the place physically shakes or whether it's simply just the foundations of your own heart that will shake with the sheer understanding that I know God is with me. My great Father is with me. Ooh, <clears throat> nothing can get to me, right? Number two, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And you might say, hang on, just back up a bit here. Two weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit as we, as we preached through the book of Acts. Um, you know, w weren't these believers already baptised in the Holy Spirit, you know, a couple of weeks ago as we talked about this. How come they are now again filled with the Holy Spirit? Is it a case of they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then, and then the Holy Spirit, they were unfilled and, and, and now they are filled again? Or, or yeah, I don't know, you've got to sort of sit with that question that's a little bit, um, could be a little bit confusing. 
Here's, here's what I believe happened here. I don't think you can unlose the Holy Spirit once you are baptised in the Holy Spirit. However, I think in our Christian walk and what it means to be children of God, there are times when we lose and lack the awareness of the greatness of our Father and we need to be reminded and refilled with the sense of God's presence and nearness. Can I go back to the analogy we used on that day? You weren't here. We talked about father and a son who walked in a park. The son is next to the father. And the question was asked, you know, at what uh, the guy saw the son walking next to the father and eventually, you know, the son ran and the father just embraced the son. And this person writing said, at which point was that son more of a child than the other? You know, was he, was he more of a son when he was held in the father's arm or less of a son? Truth is, he was always a son, fully and completely. And yet, when he was in the father's arms, he knew it. He encountered it. He experienced it. It was concrete, sure, and safe. Objectively, it's the same. Subjectively, he experienced his father as a father in the arms. I put it to you that what these believers needed and what God gave them there in this prayer was a hug. They were refilled with a keen, undisputable sense that we are the children of our father. He knows us. He loves us. He cares about us. In that sense, they are filled with the Spirit here and they know it. And then thirdly, what happened? They went out and they spoke the Word of God boldly. They carried on. (laughs) They left there confident, secure, did what Jesus wanted them to do. Let me finish then and conclude this way. How do you know that you're a Christian? Here's a quote. J.I. Packer. What is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways. But the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God for his or her father. When Christians are squeezed, they go to their father. Because they know him. They they trust him. Because they love him. They go nowhere else. They do nothing else. And so my invitation is there for you this morning. If you don't know God as your father, he wants to be. Make today the day where you simply call out to him, God, I want to know you as a father who loves me. If you're out of the arms and you're threatened, but you know you're a child of God, ask to be filled today. Not filled in order to become a child, but filled in order to know that you're held and your father loves you. You need it and you won't get by in life without it. And you shouldn't. It's not what it means to be a child of God. And then lastly, can I simply speak to us as a wider church? You know, if if you're new to this church over the last year or two or three, you've stepped into a group of people who I think have done this well. Seven or eight years ago, this church did not look good. This is before my time. 
And there was a rapid turnaround. A lot of things changed, and out of that came what you know today of Pathway to Life. And I ask any person who was there during that time, and I've heard it said so many times, what did you do? Expecting almost to hear answers of money, strategy, to-do lists. And except there's only one answer that's consistent among them all. We prayed. We prayed. We came together and we prayed. <laughs> what? That it? Yes. More or less. Sure, there were lots of things to be done. But the starting point, the nexus is, we went to our Father. Why do I say that here? I believe the future of our church will see us facing many spiders. The mission of Jesus isn't done. We have a lot more ahead of us. And whatever that's going to involve is, is going to fill us with uncertainty. Maybe threat. Don't know. We'll talk more and pray more as time goes by. But here's the one thing I'm asking, I'm praying, and I'm suggesting God says to us today as a church, if you come here, let the distinguishing hallmark of our church be this. As children of God, when we are unsure, when we are uncertain, when we are stressed, when we are anxious about our future, the first thing we do is pray together in childlike faith, reminding ourselves of the greatness of God, trusting he will fill us, trusting he will lead us, and trusting we will be fruitful in the mission he has for us. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray for each person here this morning who is overcome by their stress, by their angst, and by so many things. Lord, I pray that you would fill them. Fill them with your spirit. Fill them unto childhood of yours. If, if, if they're not a child, Lord, would you grant them that new birth? Father, if, if we're children but we're still overwhelmed, fill us with a reminder of who we are, that I'm a child of God <laughs> and I have a future and I have an all-powerful Father who looks out for me. Grant each person, Father, engulfed in anxiety, a keen, keen sense of that. Today, this week, let us turn to your word, let us meditate on it, let us remind ourselves of whose we are and from there be filled for the task that awaits us, whatever that may be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.